0: Good afternoon, everybody. It's Mark Agostinelli, your host of Beers and Careers. Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. com. Um, you'll hear a little bit about it today, but Davis is a staffing firm that's focused primarily on engineering, manufacturing, and IT professionals throughout the, uh, the country, and also uh, has a number of products for total talent management. So check them out. Uh, today's guests, guests. First time we've had a doubleheader on the podcast are Kathy Mahoney and Leslie Parody. Both are, um, both work at the same company. Oddly enough, went to the same high school and graduated in the same year and didn't know each other, but uh, but work at the same company, which is the Massachusetts Manufacturing Extension Partnership. It's part of a, a nationwide program um, that's really we we hit a lot. We talked about. How the pandemic is affecting local manufacturing, but we also talked about their career paths. Interestingly enough, they've got some good tenure, but they talk about why they've stayed in their roles, the role uh, self-awareness has played, um, how higher ed may be changing, and the impact of master's degrees on the future of the workforce, etc. So, um, a range of topics, fun conversation, uh, both awesome ladies. We had a great time, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um. Let's get it rolling. If you guys ready to roll, right? I'm ready. Are you in full beers and careers spirit? Does everyone have a cocktail with them?
1: It's water, no, but we're crying.
0: That's okay. I, hey, that counts. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for uh, for coming on. Um, I think usually we start with a bunch of rapid fire questions, but if you don't mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you. This is our first time we've done the podcast with two guests at once which is fun and exciting and a uh, cool little new challenge. So I'm excited for that. But do you guys, Leslie and Kathy, do you mind maybe, Kathy, if you can kick it off, just giving a quick overview of um, where you're currently at in your career and, and what you do day to day?
2: Sure. Um, so I'm the center director for Mass MEP. And with that, I am responsible for making sure that the center, um, one, meets all of our metrics, and two, Empowers and grows manufacturing companies in Massachusetts in different avenues of that. I have a field staff that reports to me, several education programs, as well as marketing and data analytics.
0: Excellent. And Kathy, for those um, who aren't uh, familiar with Massachusetts or the MEP, maybe people listening from a different uh, area of the country or hopefully the world, uh, can you just share what Mass MEP is and what you guys do every day?
2: Sure, there's an MEP center in every state. We are part of the NIST, Department of Commerce MEP program. We work within the boundaries of Massachusetts, since there's one in every state, and we work to help and improve the manufacturing ecosystem in the state. And we do it through the various programs, whether it be educational, we basically, I'd like to say that we help with the top line, the bottom line, and the pipeline of the industry.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And Leslie, do you mind maybe giving an overview of your day-to-day as well?
1: So I'm the workforce development manager at MassMEP. And I hit upon all of the areas that Kathy mentioned, except that I focus primarily on helping small and medium sized manufacturers with their new hire training needs, their incumbent worker training needs. I'm getting into more predictive analytics to help uh, maximize the ROI of the training. But anything to do with um, your workforce and their skill level is where I would be focused. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, well, thank you very much. And before we maybe dive into the ins and outs of your non-linear careers here, do you um, do you mind uh, just playing a little game with me that we ask all of our all of our guests here? Um, We can keep the order of of, of Kathy Leslie for the rapid fire section. But favorite cocktail or drink
2: on a hot day like today, a nice cold beer. I
0: love uh, beer. Beer of choice, Kathy. If you had oh.
2: See, that's a tough one because it depends on the day. Um, Right now it's uh, Corona Premier.
0: Okay, I like that. I also, uh, just for the record, I'm totally with you. I'd switch it up day to day depending on weather and circumstances, so no judgment here. Uh, How about you, Leslie?
1: I almost exclusively drink vodka. It doesn't matter what it's in, but uh, in the dark days of summer, I like vodka gimlets.
0: I, I was I was gonna ask uh, how you how you like your vodka prepared, so that makes sense. I don't know if it was a dirty martini thing. That's my that tends to be where I skew.
1: I'll do anything with vodka, but I tend to stick with the gimlets in the summer.
0: Okay, I love it. I love it. Um, favorite uh, favorite guilty pleasure? Netflix. Love it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, quarantine approved. <laughs> how about you, Leslie?
1: Okay, so I actually had to figure out one that I would be comfortable saying publicly. <laughs> so I went with spray cream directly from the can.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. That's awesome. That is awesome. How about um, favorite curse word?
2: Um, I don't swear a lot, so oh, I guess good. when I do, it uh, just kind of shocks everyone. So, yeah.
0: That's fair. Leslie, do you have one?
1: Yeah, I've toned it down in the last few years, and I actually did a poll because of this question to make sure that I had, in fact, toned it down. But <laughs> if one slips out, the general consensus is that I say shit a lot.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I've got a five and a three-year-old at home, and I've realized I really have to uh, change the way I've approached um, my adjectives. So yeah. I'm, I'm totally, totally with you guys on those ones. Uh, I love this one. How about first job?
2: Oh, uh, my first job was babysitting. Yep, awesome.
1: 11. So mine was babysitting, and I was really, really bad at that and hated it. So when I turned 11 or 12, I had a paper route. And I did that until I actually turned 16 and could get a quote-unquote real job.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I like it. All right, two more real quick ones. What What about your daily routine would people find most weird?
1: Les, you can go. (laughs) Okay. I have to, have to, have to do the hard Sudoku puzzle in the New York Times every day.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's (laughs) that's an interesting one. Where did it, when, how long have you been doing that for?
1: Uh, A couple of years. I started with the easy ones when I first learned it, and I worked my way up to the really, the much harder ones, but I, I do it because I think it's really good for my brain.
0: Yeah. And
1: if I'm struggling with something, I go and I'll sit and puzzle with that for a little bit because sometimes you don't get the key to it and you have to go and do something else. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's the answer. It was right there.
0: That's cool. So now in the morning or like. At the end of the day or middle? Like, do you have a specific
1: time? Yeah, I usually started around noontime. and when okay. I get really upset if it takes me like ten minutes to do it, and I get really upset if after an hour, you know, of coming back and forth to it that I still can't get it. Uh, so there's no happy medium.
0: That's an interesting one. We've been—I think we're on like the twentieth episode. That's the first one I've heard of that, so I like that, <laughs> Kathy. Yeah, that's a tough one to follow.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't—I don't have a daily. Um, thing, but a couple of times a week I do hot yoga, and people think that that's a little weird.
0: Yeah, so. Uh it's very hard. I think I—that's what I know about hot yoga is I didn't—I've never done the the Bikram stuff, but I've done like the just eighty-five degree heat. Not good. Not, <laughs> yeah. Not, not a shining moment for me. So it's
2: not a daily that's, thing, but yeah, no, I like I like the Bikram yoga.
0: I like it. I like it. All right, last one. Uh, do you guys have any favorite quotes? or maybe a specific favorite quote?
2: Um, so my new one is especially out of covid is live a great story. Ah, I like that.
1: Okay. Mine has not changed in a very very long time. It's um, whatever you do oh. in life, surround yourself with smart people who'll argue with you.
0: Mm. I dig that. Those are those are uh I haven't heard the second one, the live a great story. I've heard, um, how would I say this? Uh, similar themes, like be be the uh, be the hero in your own story. Yeah,
2: kind yeah. Of,
0: uh, a similar vibe to it. So no, that's uh, that's really cool, and I love yours, Leslie, too, because it's like, hey, you gotta have people dissenting around you.
1: Right, and it's from um, John Wooden. He was a UCLA yeah. basketball coach. Yeah.
0: That's right. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. So. I, I must admit, one of the first things that I thought of when we were having you guys um, on today and trying to um, prepare was I, per, as someone who grew up in the manufacturing world, you know, with a staffing slant on it, I should say, I attended many women in manufacturing events um, and, and those styles of uh, networking events, etc. And so I've got two women in manufacturing on the podcast and I had to ask how how did you get involved in it and um is uh how do you feel women are represented in, in the manufacturing world? Just and have you seen it change maybe over the course of uh of your careers.
2: So I actually have never worked in a manufacturing facility. Um I came to this through um a marketing and project management role um at SMEP. And then, but I have seen a shift in it. When I first started um, the meetings that I would attend, I was maybe one or two other females that were in the room, um, and I'm seeing more of a 50-50 now, um, closer to that that piece, especially on the national MEP network level.
0: Okay, so so was there was Massachusetts early to get there or later or as compared to the national? Did you notice any difference that way?
2: Um, we were right on track with it. Um, when I first started MEP, I was the only female. Um, now we're about 50, 50 with staff.
0: Okay. Leslie, any difference from your experience?
2: Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) My grandfather was a machinist. Okay. My father did that for a while. Um, and I actually, after art school, went to work at the same company that my grandfather worked at so i started in the marketing and communications department and turned out that i was really good at some of the other things and ended up with just about everything from soup to nuts with the exception of the outside sales reps and it wasn't easy it was very challenging in the beginning there were plenty of days where i had to you know put on my steel-toed boots and go downstairs and well, what do you mean I don't know what I'm talking about? If I don't know what I'm talking about, show me. Right. And you know, you had to earn the respect of the people on the floor because I think we had maybe out of 300 people, maybe six or seven women on the shop floor.
0: Mm.
1: So, going down, there and of course I'm only in what, my mid 20s at the time. These these guys weren't going to listen to me for, you know, no matter what I had for a pedigree that they, you know, they knew my grandfather. So it, it took time, but I was very eager to learn about manufacturing, and I wanted to know not just the management side of it. I wanted to know how does that machine make that part.
0: Mm. Okay, very. But but then I what I found so interesting about your career, Leslie, was it started in manufacturing, and then there, you owned a retail shop, correct? I didn't. I don't know what exactly it was, but. Yeah,
1: for a very short period of time, I had the notion in my head that I wanted to get out of manufacturing. I wanted to do something different, and you can't. Once it's in your blood, it's in your blood.
0: (laughs) So you got sucked back in.
1: Yeah, you you just can't. I mean, I I really missed it when I was away from it.
0: Was that experience of owning the retail store, what did did you take from that and apply to your career later in life?
1: That I do not want to be a sole proprietor of anything ever again.
0: Sharing <laughs> <laughs> sure. liability is good. You
1: know, I left manufacturing because they said, okay, now we're going to give you South America too. And I'm like, no, no, I, I really need some time with my family. And um, so Foolish Me said, I'm going to go do something that's going to take 24 hours a day instead of 18. Yeah. And yeah.
0: No. Okay. So, then, so then how did you end up back in training? Was that like the part of the role you love the most?
1: No, I had actually really not had anything to do with that part of it. It was more my manufacturing background and the MEP had a grant that they needed to execute on. So when I got into that, the first thing was I come from a for for profit company. I don't know anything about this nonprofit world. I don't know anything about, you know, the workforce development system. I bet it took a good two years to figure out how all of that worked in the lingo. And so I, I feel for people that get thrown into that where they're job seekers because it's convoluted and complicated and it's difficult to navigate.
0: Yes. Now, real quick, just while we're on the topic of your journey, when did I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you went back and took a certificate extension program from Harvard. Yeah, but I, when when along your career was that and what prompted that decision?
1: So it was after I had joined the MEP and had been with them for a while. Um I think what I wanted to do was see what I didn't know about nonprofits at that point. So the Harvard certificate was very much the financials of a nonprofit. There were a couple of grant writing classes, which I'd already been doing grant writing, but it was good to get another perspective on it. Uh, one of the classes was actually continuous improvement, which is basically what the MEPs are known for. so that was interesting to get a different take on it. I just wanted to know because I didn't come from that world what I didn't know.
0: Okay I, the reason I asked the question is um, I uh, do either of you have your um, do either of you have a master's degree by any chance?
2: Yes, yes okay. both okay, so,
0: so I don't and I'm, I was kind of interested to know how you guys, feel about that, because it, it, from my vantage point, and, and um, I'm a shameless millennial, right, so I must, I must say that, because my head bows, um, I, I was on the phone today with someone that is interviewing uh, for a job within our own organization, and I could almost feel, uh, at one point they, they said to me, you know, I'm also considering going to law school, and I was like, oh, awesome, uh, you know, where's that coming from? And, he, and I didn't really get a straight answer. And so I kept pressing, kind of being like, so you just want to casually think about going to law school. And it basically came up that I was like, hey, you know, I think my my dad and I have really always talked about that. And I was like, okay, so this isn't your motivation. It's kind of that. And, and I've seen a real rise in specifically this millennial demographic, taking advantage of certificate programs like that that give, you know, good rounded education, but you might not dive into something for as long. And so I was kind of interested to know um, in your guys' experience, are you seeing that? Because from my vantage point, uh, in the specifically when it's small and medium-sized businesses, I'm seeing really those master's degrees really mattering for, like, the Deloits of the world and the state streets and the bit, you know, where there's a little bit more pedigree and a little less, I don't want to say important, because I don't want to take the importance away from them, but less of a requirement in the small and medium-sized organizations. I don't know if you guys have kids or anything and if you've given them counsel. So I'm just kind of interested in your perspective because both my parents have their master's degrees and they were on me. When are you going back? When are you going back? When are you going back? And the more time has gone on, I've pursued many similar things like your extension program, but never honed in and said, I'm going back to get my master's. So I'm I'm just eager to hear your kind of perspective on it because I'm not married to my viewpoint on it and I'm open to
2: So I had a, um, my mom was similar to you, Mark. Um, when are you getting your master's? When are you getting your master's? And at the time, um, we were employees of WPI. So I was able to get it at no cost. Okay. So my only investment was time. Mm. So, um, I don't think it hurt me. Um, but it, I wouldn't say it definitely, um, but I, but I was unique in the sense that when I got the position, when I got my master's degree, I was in this, at the same company that I'm at now. Right. So I think if I had changed jobs at that point in my career, there was a value with that degree. Mm-hmm. I think that it's changed over time. Um, they're looking more for specific skills, um, you know, project management or depending on what you're going in. If it's, you know, marketing certain computer programs, that type of thing um, as, as well as the bachelor's degree. Um, yeah. but I, I think that that has changed over time, depending on the career that you're in. Um, but I think that if I had changed jobs at the time, it would have gotten me an interview that it might not have.
0: Mm, I, okay. That that makes sense because I've rarely talked to anyone who's like, I regret getting my master's
2: degree. Yeah. I don't regret like, I never, getting it. Um, I swear, I never I mean, was
0: actually, it, you
1: know, <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. All right, that makes sense, Leslie. Any thoughts on that from you? Yeah,
2: I don't
1: regret getting it. Uh, I had a rock star bachelor's degree from Rhode Island School of Design, but mm-hmm. unless I was doing something in the art world, I felt like I needed to have something more oh. well-rounded. Right. So that was really why I pursued the the master's degree. Right.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And Leslie, when you were, you said you started in, in marketing. What yeah. was the what? Uh, no, excuse me. Yeah. You, no, no, Kathy, you started. Marketing. I started a marketing. Right. I'm sorry, I I'm, I'm, I messed that up. Uh,
1: oh, I did too, marketing. Oh, you did too.
0: Behavior. Okay, but, yeah. but Kathy, you were saying you started marketing for the Mass MEP. Yep. What transpired along the way to kind of take you down this, you know, center director manager path? Because I'm guessing it wasn't like a well thought out plan. Because that's oh, the whole point of this podcast. I
2: was never going to be the center director.
0: The whole point of this podcast, guys, was I, I really. Just after spending 10 years in staffing, it shocked me. Um, In fact, the hardest thing for me is internally when we float around career pathing kind of stuff because I believe in it, and I believe in you should have a plan. But it just sounds like for me, 90% of the people I talk to, nothing happens according to plan. And for the most part, they find their way and they enjoy it more than than their anticipated plan would have brought them to. So I'd love to hear, Kathy, about how you were like marketing and then like, nope, I'm taking a a right-hand turn here.
2: So um, it was marketing, and we had this program called the Net- the Networks Program. It was funded by the state, and it was several um, industry-specific clusters across the state that we managed, um, and they had different expectations and different, it was a grant program, and they had different outcomes and objectives. Um, so I managed that when I started. Um, when I started at MEP, we didn't have email. Okay. So we had, you know, we had Hotmail accounts and and that was it. So um, it was a very, very different organization. Um, and I think there was like 12 employees. Um, so we when I say I grew up in the organization, I, I think I literally did. Um, and the organization has changed so much um, since in the la- in the 20 years I've been there. Um, you know, now we have several different programs. We have 34 staff. um and and as it grew, I took on more and more responsibility and I found what I liked and what I, what I enjoyed um, and what I think I'm good at. And, it, was the, and the, it all ties back to the marketing and the communications piece. It's building that teamwork and that growth and communication within the organization that I think has helped us grow. Um, so I think it's really been an asset, um, one of my strengths um, as the center director.
0: Has along your path to becoming the center director, Did you take any opportunities that you pretty got, you got into and you immediately regretted and got out of along the way? Like as you found your way to that, did you try? Um, there was a
2: couple of committees and and things like that that, you know, we, you know, I, you do some initial investigation, you know, kind of feelers things and then you walk, and then you kind of, you know, you walk away from it, um, because it's just not working. Um, and then there's some things that, you know, you grow and you try.
0: So. Yes. No, when you say you like, I'm I'm always interested in the you're there and you walk away from it kind of conversation because I feel like sometimes they are great self awareness and other times it's great counsel and other times it's lack of either and it's someone being like, hey, you're not good at this, like it's time to move on kind of thing. Like, how did it how did it work out for you? Was it a more of a self awareness thing or someone tapping on the shoulder being like, why are you grinding doing this?
2: Um, so <laughs> one of my jobs. Um like midterm was um I was has to start and be the human subjects coordinator for um a grant, and I realized that that wasn't my strength it was science based it was um and I'm like, this isn't for me um so I kind of walked away from that piece of it um but yeah i was more self awareness than um yeah. Okay. Say human
0: no. subjects coordinator is a wild job title, by the way.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it <laughs> it, was, it, like,
0: was <laughs> it almost sounds like an alien experiment, the human subjects trial. I love that. Yeah. Course, no, I,
2: I realized that that wasn't for me. <laughs>
0: that was good. Leslie, how about you? Like, obviously, starting at RISD and then making those kind of left-hand turns into manufacturing, like, do, were there – was there anything you regret from the not pursuing art wise?
1: No, no, okay. it, it, it that's probably the thing where I said this is not for me more than anything else. OK, After all that time and expense. And hopefully my parents will never hear this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had the option of going to WPI or to RISD. OK, and. I think I was just so burnt out from high school. And believe it or not, Kathy and I actually went to the same high school yeah. and were in the same graduating class. Oh, no way.
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that until we'd worked together for like 4 years. Yeah.
1: That's how big our class was. You wow. know, I had um I it, I will date myself. Have you ever seen the movie Meteor with no. Natalie Wood? So I was going to be an astrophysicist, and I was, that you know, is- on that heavy math, heavy science track, and it just it was too much. I was just so burnt out. And if I could have taken like a gap year, I would have been fantastic. But I didn't. So I ended up foolishly going to RISD. And I say foolishly for the simple fact that the um, course load and workload at RISD is one of the highest on the eastern seaboard. And, um, you know, went through the four years, liked it. Did well, and I would say I'm an okay designer, but it just wasn't my passion.
0: It's ironic, though, because when you talk, and I'm not sure about the machining company that you got involved in that you said you first started at, but uh, having a enough knowledge of that industry to be uh, dangerous but not really know how to machine any parts of my own, it's one of those... Uh, it's it, like when I talk to machinists, it's a craft. It, it puts, is. is an art. So it's, 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 I mean, ironically, it is kind of like you just follow the art passion to a degree in the beginning. I know, obviously, you went more of the business path within the business, but.
1: But that degree and that art degree has helped me immensely because let's face it, you're stuck marketing yourself and everything that yeah. you work on. And I happened to be at RISD when Apple was um, testing their little first computer, you know, the little tiny one with the little window. And I went, that'll never catch on. Yeah,
0: right.
1: <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I enjoyed that crafting part of it with, you know, the, the typefaces more than the computerized piece of it. And then everybody could do it, whether they were capable of doing it or not.
0: Yes. And well, yeah. while we're on the topic of it, Kathy, did your undergrad have a direct impact? Like, did you study something directly? But did you study marketing as your undergrad? Uh,
2: no, it was business.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, see, it's interesting for me because I went to a liberal arts school. I mean, I did get a BS in business administration, but I had to take religion. I had to take two philosophy, you know. And I and I almost feel like some of those classes I took. I absolutely apply in my day to day. Like maybe not, you know, down to man's search for meaning, but like the skill set, the self awareness that we kind of touched on, to to agree. Like when you start to explore subjects that are super outside your comfort zone, and certainly things that you don't think you're gonna apply, I, I find that there's still valuable experiences down the road. You know, like I'll I'll have a I'll have a thought to some like my religious studies professor I had, and be like, wow, I can't believe I'm thinking of that. Ten years removed from college in the staffing world, you know. So I, uh, it's an interesting conversation, especially since now I've got a couple boys and I'm saving for college already at five and three. And it's like, man, what is the ROI of this? And where, where, you know, it's there's, it's kind of a dangerous thing with all this knowledge I've got talking to people like you guys of where to steer people. It's like I don't know, just do what makes you happy. Just do. Yeah, so you're happy. not, you're not
1: going to end up where you think you are. My yeah. son had the hardest time choosing a major and I'm like yeah. do you think anybody in my office majored in being a project manager at mass MEP <laughs> i'm like pull out do what you want to do right my freshman
2: year I was my major was social work really yeah, yeah. okay yep yeah.
0: now what what is keeping you guys at meP you've got great tenure there like what what are the things that engage you day to day that because I think it's one it's not common to see people with tenure anymore. I, as someone who looks at resumes for a living. <laughs> uh, so,
2: for for me, um, yes, I've been at the same organization for a length of time. Um, but the job hasn't been the same, and the organization's not the same. Um, so it's not it's not like I'm working in insurance, filling out the same forms every day, every week. Yeah. Um, my day, and I. I think I can speak for just about everybody, is so different. Um, As the manufacturing trends change, uh, we have to change. Um, So it's, you know, we're innovative, we're constantly growing. Um, So I think that's part of the benefit of it. Um, Leslie and I both had a great um, mentor in our previous president, and I think that that, he built a culture of family. And I think that that's part of what sticks with the organization too. Mm,
0: That's interesting. So you, you, Feel like your challenges change obviously day to day and week to week, but when you look back at more maybe year long segments, you're doing different work.
2: Absolutely. Um, You had talked to us in January. We were doing face to face on site consulting. Um, We were doing public events. We were planning a large symposium for October with you know 500 people attending. Mm-hmm. Now we are 50-50 virtual um, week, and we conducted that and did that in three months, less than three months. Um, we are no longer doing the symposium in October virtually. We're planning um, weekly com- webinars um, to address manufacturing. We're looking at a whole different organization today than we were in January. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just one example of something right. that changed the, the trends. Right.
0: Wow. So only six months ago. Only six months ago. How about you? Similar stuff? Is that some of the reasons you're still there?
1: Yeah. When you're not in one company where you leave at night and come back to the same problems every day, it it changes every day based on who you're speaking with and what they need assistance with. So it allows you to take in what they're telling you their issues are. And either you can draw on your background or things you've seen over the last, I guess, what, I mean, 14 years now. Mm. But if not, and in a lot of cases, you have to go and do the research and find the resource or see how you can help them. So it's constantly problem solving, but it's a different problem every day.
0: Right. Uh, I'm. Uh, it's actually interesting because I feel um, that really resonates with my own personal experience at the organization I'm in, and in fact, one of the folks we had on the podcast, um, Ann Whitaker, was the uh, VP of people or VP of HR uh, and a founder at Rethink Robotics in the city and kind of a friend and confidant. And I remember being like six or seven years into Davis and things are going really well. But I just stopped and was like, man, is it going to look bad if I spend 20 years at one company and then I look, you know, one day I do need a new job. So I called her and I remember being like, look, everything's going well, but like, am I an idiot for staying here? And I remember the advice she gave me and she's so, so direct, just being like, if your challenges are still there and things are not the same every day, then and you're gaining skill set, why would you leave just to leave? And And I'm so, I mean... And she was right on. I'm so glad you saw through the BS. I was, see, I was kind of spouting at the time because it's like, because it's really what you make it, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and I mean, hey, look at I'm on. am talking to you in a podcast funded by a company that I was just like had a kind of half-assed passion project for. And Andrea was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's let it rip. So um, that really, that really resonates. That's that's pretty cool. Now, how are you guys? Adapting. You talked about the virtual symposium, made me think of it. But like, I almost forget that this isn't the way we used to do business six months ago. We would have done this podcast in person, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, I, I'm. Uh, it's funny how quickly we adapt to uh, to what we're doing. But is there any part of your business that's been incredibly frustrating from the way in which you work now, virtually more so? I'm guessing. I'm guessing. I'm seeing you both in your homes, and that's where you've been since March.
2: Um, I miss the people. I mean, as much as we interact on Zoom and the, um, you know, I miss the camaraderie, the jokes, the, um, you know, the cliche of the water cooler conversations. Um, So I I, we've done a fantastic job with Zoom and making sure everyone's connected. And, um, you know, we we have office hours. Um, The marketing team runs office hours. And yesterday was actually the first time I participated on it. And they gave us tips on how to best prepare for a Zoom presentation. You know, like how to make yourself look the best. And I realized I don't have any lipstick in the house. Yes. So.
0: I was going to say, <laughs> did you put those tips to work before our big, our I big tried to,
2: show? But I didn't find any lipstick in the house. <laughs> They laugh at
1: me, Mark, because I was the one giving them makeup tips yesterday. Because if I don't have additional blush and lipstick on, I'm just so pale that it just doesn't work. I
0: got, I so it's so funny. I got so much crap in the beginning of quarantine because I kept shaving. And they're like, "What are you shaving for? You're not going to see any plans. And I was like, "I just don't feel like I've done what I need to do in the morning if I don't shave my face. It's like some weird ritual. That's my weird daily ritual, probably, but." Um, yeah, that, I'm with you on that, the seeing people, seeing people. And like the war, the one thing I'm most nervous about in our business is um, just if it's going to lengthen the learning curve for learning a new trade without being able, especially in our our lives are so phone heavy and communication heavy.
2: Yeah.
0: I remember I learned just as much by listening what not to do and what to do by other success than by my own. So new problems to tackle. but um, But you guys also host a lot of events. And whether they're, whether they're like networking in nature, but certainly educational, like that's got to be a challenge. Are you nervous about engaging your constituents through virtual? Because, like, I know myself, like, yes, a bad example, but I'll be vulnerable, and I hope my CEO doesn't listen too hard, but I'll, I'd tell him if I had to. Yesterday we had our executive meeting, and I had such a killer Monday, Tuesday, I had all this stuff piled up on Wednesday, and it's like, I'm in this virtual meeting, but my email is just being bombarded, and it's like, I'm having trouble, it's like, i got to shut this other screen off, right? Like, I'm having trouble concentrating, and I can only imagine, as someone attending a virtual conference or virtual event, it's going to be hard to keep engagement, like, locked in.
2: So, it is, um, but the beauty of it is that I think people are more receptive to it now than they were six months ago. True. So I, I think that people are more open to participating in virtual training and being more aware. Like you just said, I realize I have to pay attention here. I'm going to shut my email off. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's that's a plus for it um, on both sides. Um, but I honestly don't think this virtual piece is going away anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I think I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. Are there are there certain um, What's the conversation like? As I can imagine, in a marketing department, or when you're getting ready to to prep one of these events, what's the conversation like around creating the best environment for the people on the other end? Are there are there any best practices maybe you could share with the with the community?
2: Um, so I know that they've started doing polls when they do the webinars to you know mm-hmm. just kind of ask some questions, and they try to make them not just um, Based on the topic, they try to add some humor to it. Sometimes, you know, one of the questions was it was a Six Sigma thing, and there was three que- three answers. It was a multiple choice. Um, I forget what the question was, but there was three answers related to Six Sigma, and then the last one was I can count to six. <laughs> you know, so they're they're trying to engage the people with some yeah. things like that, um, and then doing more than having more than one person speak um, because it breaks it up. For both the person speaking and presenting, and it also breaks it up for the audience too. They're not listening to the same voice.
0: Mm. Do you? Yeah, that, it's so it's a so, listening to the same voice thing. I think is such a good point because mm. I feel like that's the thing where you get a little, uh, you you can almost drown it out, especially if the video connection's poor for a second or something. Yeah. Is this the radio on in the background or, or am I actually <laughs> attending an event? Uh, what about you, you guys, go, too? Do you
2: have any other?
0: Oh, go ahead. What were you
2: best practice
0: You know, we've tried to really, um, we've tried to really shorten them. We've tried to the events that we used to have, like we hosted a quarterly town hall, and and the the one that we kick off the year with, and the and the uh, and the one we do in the middle of the year is generally much longer, like talking three hours long, right? But but everyone's in the office. There's breaks. There's a lunch. You're there. You're talking. Like the water cooler stuff is happening. And honestly, it's part of the reason we do it is to bring a lot of offices together that don't normally see each other. So these three-hour events now we're banging them out in about 40 minutes, and it's it's not done by accident. It's done specifically just because we know people's attention spans are shorter. And it's like let's get let's cut to the chase here. We're not going to be able to hang out and do those kind of things. So I think shortening them has been important. I think. We now I'm obviously running ones that are more internally focused, right? So it's it's a little easier to say things like, hey, I need everyone to have their camera on. Like it's not fun to be doing like it's not fun when you're in a meeting with eight people and only seven have their camera on or six have their camera on. It's like, so what are they doing? Like what's going on? You know, I mean, and obviously we're super accommodating. So if it's like, hey, I'm dropping my kid off somewhere, or I had to walk my dog, this is the only time to do it. Sure, but like I think those are the things we're just trying to keep people engaged, and then. Do less talking, right? Get get participation. I think is the lastly the last thing we're trying to do is incite as much participation. But I don't think we have it dialed. You know, I think it's I think it's a certainly a work in progress that we're figuring out as we go. Um, and we'll see, I, you know, and, and and certainly we'll see. I think people enjoy being in a forty minute meeting instead of a three hour one. I think that, that <laughs> there's certainly a there's certainly an advantage to that. So, um, but I. My biggest struggle is I, I'm certainly a social creature. Like, I'm i told, like, when you were saying you missed out on the water cooler stuff, like, I definitely am more productive now because I don't have people stopping in my office and saying, hi, and how are your kids? But, it you know, it's great for a week or two weeks, and then you go four or five weeks, and you're like, okay, I feel like I'm in an insane asylum here. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. Just talking to myself. I've been bringing my dog into the office just so I can like, turn and look at <laughs> to keep it going. But, um, yeah, so it will be it will certainly be interesting to see as to see how things go, and I think managing, I think the new wrinkle now for managing uh, teams in this environment is like nobody's taking vacations, right. And and everyone's plugged in. I think that's
2: yeah. I think We've got yeah. a
0: new set of challenges as managers um, and leaders that are uh, super different, just because. A, you can't, I mean, now now you really can't leave Massachusetts and come back unless you go to Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, which is great, and I think there's a lot of people that do that stuff, but I think there's a lot of people that have nice summer plans or nice winter plans that are now gone, and it's like, and everyone's checking email at 8 o'clock at night, because yeah. it's, it's how we're wired, so I think we got a new, I think the there's a new set of rules, and I don't think people totally haven't figured out that.
2: Yeah, I was just talking to someone about that, and I said, you know, I said, from working it from home. Um, I actually did take vacation last week um, good we had um, rented a house somewhere and in Massachusetts so we were able to get away and I said but we didn't do anything um, yeah. but it was nice to look at four different walls yes you know <laughs> you're walking you're walking a different neighborhood you're <laughs> yeah it's- and so and that's what I said to him I said even if you you know I said go somewhere and just rent a house or you know somewhere um, because it, it was a good break
0: yes yeah. You, you need to do it. I found um, I found myself changing the. Uh, you know, like the, how now you can with your. I have an iPhone. You can limit how much time you you spend in certain apps. I found myself oh, yeah. shutting my phone pretty much off at eight o'clock and not being able to use it again until like six thirty a.m. Just so I didn't start and end my day like.
1: You're work work and home have blurred. I'm, you know, now it's a 12, 14 hour work day because you stop and do the laundry or take the dog for a walk, like you said, or water the flowers. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Although I, I will say, I think that that's been the part I've enjoyed the most. I too. Yeah. And I think my wife has enjoyed the most, like I'm around, we eat lunch together Yeah. and like, you know, and if I throw a load of laundry in, right, it's like, okay, at least he's engaged and it's not, you know, like before it'd be like. I also find when I come home from work, now, I've been coming in the office two or three days a week. I notice when I come home from work, I'm I'm more tired when I leave and go to work and come home than when I just work in my home office all day. It's really interesting. And my patience is shorter, too. It's, I, I've, like, I, it's the weirdest thing. I, I have no idea why. I'm just happy I realize it happened. But I've been one of those things I've been like, okay, i got to like figure out how to calm down on the drive home from here. <laughs>
1: I'm But, but. I want you, um, pr- I'm not having a difficult time now, but I suspect that once it gets cold and snowy and you're housebound more, that's going to be problematic. Because, I mean, now I can go out on the back deck and spend an hour before it gets to, you know, be 100 degrees out there in the morning.
0: I, I think I think in New England we are and like in the northern states, I think you, you're so Correct. I didn't think about that. I would say we were, we joked about it on so many calls we had, internal team calls, but we'd do this Monday morning sales meeting. And remember how April, it rained every day? Yeah.
2: Oh, it was and, awesome. and it was
0: cold. And I remember I'd open up the call and be like, who's depressed? Yeah. Because I was like, I'm not yeah. in my house. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, and you're, I used to like, I'm a weirdo. I used to like, I like going to the grocery store. Like, I like perusing and being like, what am I going to pretend I'm on chopped tonight cooking? Um, and you couldn't even do that during that time frame. So there was literally no outlet. It's raining every day. And it's like, yeah. Oh my goodness. I think golf saved my life. And, and when it came around in May, it was like, okay, I can walk somewhere. But um, do you guys have things now? Obviously we're operating in the new environment as we were just talking about, but like, what are you most excited for f- forward looking in terms of what the mass MEP is doing and what you're sinking into? And, and I, I noticed in both of your LinkedIn backgrounds, having not spent a ton of time, even though Leslie and I have met each other in the past, you're also very involved in your communities. So like, I'm guessing making an impact is is, is part of the reason you stayed engaged at MEP. You certainly feel like you're making an impact in the communities you're serving, but what impact or where are you looking from a forward-looking six, 12, maybe potentially 18 months or, or further? I don't know how you guys are doing your forecasting that you're getting really excited about over the course of uh, the next little while here?
2: So I I think that we're going to see a shift in manufacturing um, with more of the Industry 4.0, the data analytics, um, and bringing more manufacturing back to the U.S. Mm. because of the supply chain issues that everyone had related to things being produced in other countries and not being able to get them. So I'm excited about that and I'm excited um, how we can participate. So, yeah.
0: Oh, I mean, that makes sense. How about you, Leslie?
2: Yeah, I read um,
1: a McKinsey study that said eight weeks of COVID moved us forward digitally by five years. Now, I think that's going to have an impact on our manufacturers. But I also come at it from the perspective that we have what, 17.4% unemployment in Massachusetts? And how are we going to train or retrain anyone who's in an industry where it's probably not going to come back to where it was before? Right. How do how do we do that? That that's a huge draw on our systems and our resources. And it's unfortunate, but you can't predict when something like this happens. So we will be behind the eight ball for a while, and that that's always good for me because it's me trying to problem solve. But it's going to be difficult and a rough transition, I think, for a lot of industries.
0: Do you? Uh, I mean, I think they're both awesome. Uh, they're both topics that certainly I've been pondering, especially the the bringing some of the supply chain back to the U.S. Do you find where is that like from your guys? Obviously, I think we see in the news, we see it in certain conversations we're having amongst peer groups, but you guys talk to business leaders in manufacturing. Do you find that they are demanding it or do you find that you're talking to people that are going to expand their product offering to help accomplish that or do you see it more as a market opportunity for other businesses to be created in, in that are making the same product but now they're making it in Massachusetts? Or
2: you- all, all the above. Um, okay. So I was actually, before this, I was on a um, NIST round or round table with a couple of companies across the state, across the country. And we had one from Massachusetts on it. And it was actually a company in Franklin, um, that wasn't in existence prior to the end of May. Um, so they basically used the machinery there to start making gowns and they partnered with a company in Rhode Island that was making the material for the gowns that hadn't made the material. Mm -hmm. So this whole PPE requirement around, um, the COVID and what was needed helped companies pivot into different industries that they may not have, but they're seeing that now they can create this, which means then the supply doesn't have to come from somewhere else. Mm. So it's building new markets and new products opportunities for certain companies, but then it's also allowing other companies to produce that product and grow their industry too.
0: Uh, can I ask a really ignorant question? What's NIST stand for?
2: Oh, National Institute of Standards and Technology. Sorry. And Technologies.
0: Okay. Yeah. Do you have... Is there any, um, it's super early to tell, but do you feel like there's any projections that you believe or with solid data points of how much we could see manufacturing grow due to this? repatriation
2: of it? I don't, off the top of my head. Yeah, Leslie I might. not anything at this well. No, I haven't. Yeah, seen I don't, I don't they think really they know yet. Yeah, I think we were all very
1: complacent with a good economy prior to this, and the only people that were looking at expanding or pivoting were doing it opportunistically, but now they're going to have to start looking at it from a more strategic point of view. Yeah. I,
0: I almost feel like it also... Sh- it also um, How's the best way to say it? I almost feel like it also empowered leaders of companies to realize they can pivot on a dime a little better than they thought they could, right? I mean, how much do you hear about like, no, we can't do that. It's gonna, we'll be down for like three days, right? Or like, you know, or oh, we can't bring in this new line because it's gonna disrupt this one. I mean, I'm sure you guys hear that. I, I've got to think people are walking away being like, man, we're way more resilient than we thought we. Do you hear that sentiment out there or no?
2: I hear it from some companies, yes.
0: Yeah. Because because like the example you just gave of the gowning, I mean, uh, even in my casual media uh, browsing and you see, um, I played hockey and lacrosse growing up. So I had like follow some of those companies and the lacrosse companies were that made sticks were now making masks and the hockey companies that made the shields for hockey helmets are now making face shields that apply. It's like it's like they got to think that those are. Those are why shouldn't those channels exist forever? Right? I mean, maybe and with it, they different, probably different,
2: will, as long as the yeah. demand is there.
0: Right. Yeah. I think
1: yeah. The and, and we don't go looking for radical upheaval, but when it comes, we rise to the occasion.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. I think that's been my favorite thing about what's happened is like, we, you see how, as a, you know, I mean, obviously. You can't turn on the news for too long or you're depressed. But when you look at the greater macro of what we've done and kind of how, especially in the local communities, you know, when you talk to people that you know and how they've handled things. Uh, I mean, I think the most proud thing that we're here at Davis is we, we we only had to lay two people off and it was frustrating. But for the most part, we kept 98 percent of our staff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. And I and I talked to a lot of people that were fortunate enough to be in a similar position. It's like you just batten down the hatches and you stay opportunistic and you communicate and you communicate and you communicate. And um, I think it's an interesting time because certainly folks in my generation have not had an actual challenging time. You know, I, I graduated in 08 from college. So at that during the last recession. So like I didn't get it. Right. It was just hard to find a job. <laughs> like it, it was, it didn't, it didn't have the same effect. I wasn't navigating waters, and I was such a low man on a totem pole that I, I would have missed the lesson anyway. So I, I feel like, uh, you know, everything like this has a silver lining. And for me personally, it was like learning experience on how to deal with things you cannot control. Yeah. At
2: a yeah, absolutely.
0: At a serious yeah. macro level. Yep. So, you no,
2: know,
0: that's that's pretty cool. Well. What else? What else, ladies? What what other, were there any topics you were excited to talk about on beers and Careers that I didn't touch on? Community involvement. I, I didn't, I mean, when, when I was, uh, we hit the women in manufacturing thing, I was kind of, I was really excited to hear about that, and also seeing folks that spent time there, but such, what I loved about your career paths, both of them were like, you spent time at one company, and, and Kathy, obviously you a little longer, but. You weren't doing the same thing and you were taking left hand turns along the way. So, what advice would you give to a recent college grad or maybe someone that's mid in a a career transition stage? They've been doing something for five years and I'm like, I gotta make a change. Would you, any advice you'd give those types of folks?
2: Um, In this day and age, the careers are just so different um, than they were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. There's basically a career in anything now. if you're in, if you have something that you're passionate about, then find something that you can do in that, with that mm-hmm. passion. Cause that'll, that'll make all the difference in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's good advice. How about you, Leslie? Any advice you'd give? You mentioned so your I have
2: an I have an upcoming college graduate and I just <laughs> want to
1: chill out. Because you don't know what's coming along. You just tuck the ball under your arm and when the opportunity is there and you think it's the right opening, you take it. But, don't get stuck in where you are now because you have no control over what's coming down the road. You might yes. think you do, but you don't Yeah. So if you're well prepared and you're willing to take a little bit of risk. Occasionally, you'll be fine. We all <laughs> are at some point.
0: I think that's a perfect way to end it. When you're ready to take, we're all, we all have to take some risk at, t- at some times. Yeah. You got to let it rip. So yeah. I, uh, thank you so much for coming on both of you. This has been awesome. I, uh, I love talking to you and, and let's uh, let's do it again sometime for an update on how we're how we're dealing in the new virtual world and what the like as you mentioned what you guys are looking forward to moving forward.
2: All right. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks for having me, Mark. You. Yeah, very enlightening. Thank you, Mark.
0: Awesome. Take care.
1: Bye
2: bye. Bye bye.